0: So when we have surveyed this community, Platt Park Church, in the past about people's religious backgrounds, we have found that we have people here from all sorts of different religious backgrounds. Pentecostal, Baptist, Buddhist, Latter-day Saints, Wiccan, Orthodox, Presbyterian, non-denominational, agnostic, Jewish, other kinds of Baptist. Mennonite, Lutheran, Missionary Alliance, Disciples of Christ, Jesus, People, 1970s movement. Yet another kind of Baptist. Secular, and of course, people who would say they came from spiritually but not religious backgrounds. This is what we are dealing with here. And in addition, when we last surveyed, we found that one out of five people at Platte Park Church, 20%, would say they are not they would not c- currently consider themselves a follower of Jesus either they're exploring faith in Christ or they would say i used to be a follower of Christ i'm not so sure anymore one out of 5 so we want to be a place where people can come and belong even if they do not believe in the way of Jesus at all and here's the pressing question in that reality how do you approach the bible In that sort of situation, that's what I want to talk about today. Because we're in this series called How to Church, and we're looking at uh, how each week we do four things when we gather in worship. We have the gathering, we have the word, we have the table of communion, and we have the benediction every week. And today, we're talking about the word. The word is when, each week in worship, we explore the ancient scriptures together. When we talk about the Bible. So how do you listen to a sermon? How do you read the Bible? And to talk about that today, I want to talk about three things. PTSD, scripture for transformation, and fruit. Okay, PTSD. Many of you know PTSD stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. Very real deal. Sometimes uh, when people return from war. Had a traumatic experience, hear a loud noise, jump, hit the floor, because that trauma still resides in the body. Now, so many people I know have a complicated relationship with the Bible. Sometimes there is some PTSD around how the Bible was used in their past. So even mentioning the phrase, the Word of God, causes stress for some people. The Bible has been used as a weapon. It's been used to hurt people. It's been quoted to defend slavery. It's been used to support oppression of people groups. And even today, in this room, if we were to bring up a wide variety of topics there would be people in the room who disagree about what the Bible has to say. They'd come to different conclusions about what the Bible says. So how do you listen to a sermon? How do we attempt to hear from God when there's PTSD in the room? When the very phrase, the word of God, causes stress for some people? First of all, We do not worship the Bible. We worship the Lord. While the Bible is important, it is not the same as Jesus. People followed Jesus before the Bible existed. People follow Jesus in illiterate places and places where there is no access to the Bible around the world today. It is the triune God who we're seeking. It is Christ who we worship, not the Bible. So then why is the Bible so important in our worship? The Bible tells us the story of God. It's this authoritative word from God about the story of God. What is that story? It's the story of creation and incarnation and recreation. And the Bible is the authoritative word from God about this, the story of God. So 2 Timothy 3 says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed. Scripture is for transformation. When we read the Bible, we are not reading for information we are reading for transformation. The Apostle Paul said it like this, knowledge puffs up, but love, love builds up. And we need information, but we cannot stop there. Following Jesus is really about bringing all of the facets of who you are under the lordship of Christ. And that includes your mind Your emotions, your will, your relationships, all of it in the process of being apprenticed to Jesus, it's bringing all those pieces of who you are under the lordship of Jesus to be made new, to be restored. Now, the problem is, all too often, following Jesus has been reduced to simply ascribing to a certain set of beliefs. So if you say you believe certain things, you're in. And if you don't, then you're out. And what happens is we have a bunch of people over time who are giving intellectual assent to some orthodox ideas, but who are actually looking less and less like Jesus over time. People who maybe even talk about Jesus, but are moving further and further away from him. And a life that would look like him. Now here's what we notice in the early church. When the church first began, in the book of Acts, we have all these stories about what the church looked like. And in the early church, here's what we notice. There was great joy when hearing the word of God. There was great joy when hearing the word. When, when the word was preached, people were healed. There was transformation happening. And so the people listening paid close attention. Acts 8 says it like this. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. They paid close attention. They were healed. There was transformation in their lives, and they paid close attention. There was great joy. So if we are to follow in the footsteps of the early church, this is how we will listen to a sermon. This is how we will approach the Bible, paying close attention to it, seeking transformation, healing, and we'll receive it with great joy. But let's just be honest. In churches, here is how it often works. I'm in a church, and I love it, but after a while we start to realize how much people in our congregation don't agree on. Like, first, we disagree on the proper way to do the Lord's Supper. So we split. We become two churches. And then, you know, I'm in this one over here, and over time I realize um, we don't like singing the same worship music. So then we split. And then people start talking about the rise of postmodernism, and there's disagreement, so we split. And then we fight about women in ministry, and so we split. And over the years, we realize we don't agree on a whole range of topics baptism, the return of Christ, hell, alcohol, birth control, divorce and remarriage, spiritual gifts, sexuality. And we split off again and again and again until it's down to just me and one other person. <laughs> and then we realize we don't agree. So we split. Now it's just me. But I disagree with myself all the time. (laughs) So now I need to take that sword and basically slice myself down the middle for the sake of orthodoxy. Okay, what I'm getting at is division kills. Love the Lord your God who is one. We're invited into this union with God. What does that look like? In the church, in a church like ours, we will not agree on everything the Bible says, and we must have a unity that is deeper than being able to agree on enough things. I mean, how do you hold together all these different people in a unity that goes deeper than uniformity? how can we approach the Bible, how can we be shaped by the word of God without dividing every single time we disagree? Okay, one way that we can kind of think about this, one way we've thought about this over the first 10 is what we could call the one, two, threes of Bible theology. The ones are our core convictions. The two is our unity in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the threes are peripheral convictions. I cannot say that word. (laughs) Peripheral, peripheral, peripheral convictions. Okay, let's talk about the ones for a minute. So the ones are the parts of our faith that are absolutely core and central to the Christian story. It's our firm foundation. It is our anchor. The ones provide us as a community with our rootedness. And the ones come out of scripture. So as followers of Christ, we do not worship the Bible. We worship God. But this revelation comes to us through this sacred text. And so the Bible must be respected and honored and given great authority in our life and belief together. And the Bible is also complicated. It's speaking across vast periods of time and cultures. It's written in multiple languages. It's using a number of different literary genres. But we're not just going to throw it out because it can be complicated. I mean, reading the Bible well, that is crucial for living together as faithful followers of Christ. And at the same time we recognize there are many areas where faithful, Bible-loving followers of Christ, where Bible scholars disagree, debate. So in the ones, what we're looking for is the absolute central markers of the Christian faith that are revealed to us through the Bible, through the biblical story. So for example, God created The heavens and the earth, that's a one. That's a core conviction. How God created the heavens and the earth? Like, was it literally seven 24-hour periods of time from which he worked six and rested on the seventh? Or were those periods of time longer in God's economy of time? Those questions are valid They're important, but they're not ones. God created the heavens and the earth. That's a one. How and when and where is not a one. So ones are the simple, focused markers of our faith. And what we're looking for with the ones is what we, as a community, will submit to. We are looking for the markers of faith that root us collectively in this ancient way of following Jesus. So we're looking for the beliefs that Christ followers across time and space have affirmed as true. And we want to fit within that deep and wide movement. So when it comes to determining our ones, our core convictions, what we really need is something written early on in this history of the church that can ground us. And that is exactly what we have in the Apostles' Creed. This is an ancient church document that Christians have used for almost 2,000 years to root themselves in this faith. It's a simple way to articulate the things that ground us. The Apostles' Creed is at Platt Park. It's our only statement of faith. We do not have a bunch of additional statements or position papers. This is it. And the Apostles' Creed says this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, This simple, focused creed gives us a great sense of Christian identity. And let's be honest, there will be days when you don't believe all of it. And that is when the community shows up to have hope in something that you perhaps have lost hope in. Because the opposite of faith It's not doubt, it's actually certainty. In his recent book called The Second Mountain, David Brooks is articulating his journey with faith, and I found it very refreshingly honest how he explained um, that he has this, you know, grew up in Judaism, and so he's kind of no longer Jewish enough for his Jewish friends, but he's not Christian enough for his Christian friends. And in the book he says, my Christian friends just want to know, do you believe in the resurrection? And his response to them is, some days. And I appreciated that honesty, that even with these core convictions, there will be times in your life where you doubt in the communities. Belief can carry you in those moments. Now, let's jump from ones to threes for a minute. Peripheral, peripheral. <laughs> peripheral. I actually did synonyms um, that I was going to choose a different word, but I just like this word best, even though I can't say it. Okay, so threes. Threes are all of those good things that Jesus-loving, Bible-honoring Christians disagree about. And as you can imagine, that list is pretty long. It includes beliefs like the proper mode of baptism, How the Holy Spirit's active in the world and in the church, the role of women in the church and the family, the role of men in the church and the family, how the universe was created, divorce and remarriage and modernism and sexual expression before and or in marriage, birth control, pacifism and just war, whether a Christian can serve in the military, how much money can a Christian make, can Christians have retirement funds, styles of worship, styles of prayer, styles of hair. The rapture, the resurrection, modern-day miracles, alcohol use, pot use, tobacco, yoga pants. (laughs) Hats off during prayer. You guys, there are a lot of threes. And it is not to say that threes do not matter. They matter a lot. But unlike the ones, these are ethical and theological questions that are just not as explicitly clear in scripture. And they may be interpreted a number of different ways. And it's important to say, differences in interpretation does not mean one party like believes in the Bible and the other doesn't. Bible scholars debate many things And that task, that super important task of reading and interpreting and then applying scripture, it can be complicated. So we have to recognize when we come together, we will disagree on important things. And we must have the freedom in Christ to wrestle with the text authentically in community. And here's the thing, we're given that freedom. We're given that freedom because the peripheral convictions are not the core of our faith. Even when they feel so very crucial in the moment. You know, the early church, people would come and they were spying on the freedom the early church had. They were like, "How did they have so much free?" They were spying on the freedom. And today, lots and lots of churches here's just this is just one example lots of churches today have come to a place of agreeing to disagree and having um, unity despite difference around baptism so you have people who believe in infant baptism who can participate and be in fellowship with people who with a church that practices adult baptism And you have people who believe in adult immersion baptism who are participating in the life of churches that are firmly in the view of infant baptism. But here's what happens is sometimes people will say, well, uh, it's easy for us to disagree about baptism. Uh, You know, that's not as big of a deal as... And then they'll, you know, express some divisive, um, important issue... the day. But here's the thing, to say that, to believe that, is really to ignore huge parts of history. I mean, the mode and the meaning of baptism historically, that has been a major breaking point in the church. During the Reformation, the Anabaptists, they were being drowned by Catholics and Protestants, drowned to death. They called it the third baptism. So even though baptism may be easy to disagree on now, it was a matter of life and death then. So every culture, every time, every place has its own sacred topics. And threes, they matter a lot. But they are not the core of our faith. And so we ought to, as much as possible, continue in united fellowship with others who disagree. We actually believe in doing so, that the unity of Christ's church is more important than where we land on our threes. So we commit to being united together as a family, especially when there's some disagreement. And according to the early church, that unity, that was evidence of the spirit. In First John, it says, "They will know us by our love." That's the miracle of God's community. It's, it's not the miracle of proper doctrine as important as that is. It is the miracle of unity in Christ despite all these differences.